If you want to do a small good in the world, then you start a non-profit or become a social entrepreneur. Yeah. If you really want to do a large good in the world, then you create a for-profit company. Okay, welcome to today's podcast episode. I have a very special guest and special guests in the room listening, Naveen Jain. We've got a billionaire. We're going to be talking about... Um, Basically, I want to go through seven steps for somebody to build. And, you know, I've, I've changed the title now. I'm going to change it to building a billion-dollar business because like Naveen challenged. This is uh, today. I'm also I have uh, a small group here around my table for a million-dollar or millionaire kind of roundtable war room. And Naveen came in uh, gracious enough to come for a little bit and said, Ty, you should have had it as a billionaire, a billion dollar goal. So I'm like, all right, we're aiming too low. So I want to just go through seven things. You've built multiple businesses. You've got this new one that's going to end illness. The problem of illness is the goal, which is so that's a huge, huge goal. So if we're just kind of one of the ways I think about this, this is our last day on earth, me and you. What? You have kids? You have three kids, and you've got to leave a little manifesto, a little piece of all your life's work boiled down in seven steps. We'll we'll see if we can get these. What would be the first, most important thing that you would say to this room listening to building something big that not just that makes you a billion dollars, but that like changes the world? Because you're all about that. What would you say is the first thing? Dreaming big. You have to dream so big that people think it's an absolutely crazy idea. And when you tell someone what you're going to be doing, and if they don't think it's a crazy idea, then you're not thinking big enough. So right. it has to be an audacious goal that if you're successful in doing, it will change the way people are going to live their lives. It's going to change the lives of the billions of people around the world. And that's the number one thing is really dream big. When the reason people in the societies don't move forward because people feel helpless and hopeless. Their dreams are taken away from them. And when you take away somebody's dream, they really can't do anything because they suddenly start to believe the sky is the limit. Right. The sky is not the limit because sky doesn't exist. It's a figment of our imagination that we create this thing called sky. When you go from here to the moon, you don't call mom and say, mom, I just passed the sky. There is no right. sky. Right? So point is we put the limits on ourselves. When you start to believe something is impossible, it becomes impossible for you and not for me. So it is people right. put the limits on themselves and what is they can achieve. So when you say, I'm going to create a million-dollar roundtable, that is what you're going to do. You put a cap right. on yourself and say, I can't think big enough. I'm going to think small enough for a coffee shop because I can make a coffee shop work. Because if I think big I would probably fail. Yeah. Do you, so do you think that it's just about self-fulfilling prophecy? So you, you create this prophecy, all right, I'm going to make this, and then you only hit that. And how do you balance that with step-by-step -step goals? Because most people aren't going to go from zero to a billion. Actually, you do. Okay. It's so much easier to create a company that has an audacious goal of changing the way people are going to live their lives. So it is easier to create a company that's going to impact, positively impact billion people yeah. than to create something that's going to be local. So give an example. When I started this, my healthcare company, so you know my previous company is Moon Express. Yes. That's the only company in the universe that has a permission to leave Earth orbit and land on the moon. And when huh. we land on the moon, not only we become the first private company to do that, we actually become the fourth superpower. Huh. And that goes on to prove that a small group of people are now capable of doing things that could only be done by the nation states and superpowers. And now you and I in a small group of people can do that. Yeah. So now, when I started this, my next moonshot, I started with a simple goal. What if we can create a world where illness becomes a matter of choice rather than a matter of bad luck? What if when everyone is focused on curing the diseases, what if we can prevent the disease from happening at the first place? Right. Right. And then I started to, I, you know, I started to read a lot. In the last five years, it's clear that 
the organisms in our gut, the gut microbiomes, are causing all of the chronic diseases, whether it is Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, depression, anxiety, obesity, diabetes, cancer, autoimmune diseases, every one of them have a root cause of inflammation and that is being modulated by the microbiome. And if you can understand what is going on and what they are doing, and you can simply fix them with diet and nutrition, then right. you never have to be sick. And let me tell you how it happened. When I set out a goal and say, I'm going to create a world where illness is simply an option, amazing things happen. The yeah. people around the world start to call me and say, I want to help you do that. The head of the IBM Watson research called me and said, look, I have built the artificial intelligence for the last 20 some years. I can apply all of that to solve this problem. Yeah. I just need you to find me the data inside the human body. So is that one of the, the byproducts of thinking big? You attract big thinkers? Not only you attract the big thinkers, you attract the best and the brightest around the world yeah. who will come because they want to work on the hard problems. They want to work on something that can be their legacy. Right. People don't want to work on a small problem. So if I say I'm going to work on an iPhone app that's going to find a roommate for you, people say, good luck, that's a great idea, go have some fun. When you tell someone, I'm going to go to the moon or I'm going to go out and solve the problem of healthcare from the ground up, people want that to be their legacy. People want to believe they're making history. Every one of us has a chance to watch the history being made. How often do we get a chance in our lifetime to actually make the history? Yeah. Right? So the, Dr. Helen Massier, she was PhD microbiology. She's an MD. She's working for Craig Venter. And Craig is the father of synthetic biology. He was on the cover of Time magazine with the title, The Man Who Played God. I know. I just saw that literally yesterday. I read an article on that. So the thing about it, she's working for Craig Venter on human longevity, expanding the lifespan. When she heard me talk, she said, you know what? I, what's the point living long if people are going to be sick anyway? Right. Let me come help you solve this problem. Yeah. Dr. Vishwich at Los Alamos National Lab, he said, I've been working on this technology for 10 years for national security, where we had to find out what's making people sick. And he said, we can apply that technology to solve the problem that you start talk about. Next thing I know, I have these, all these brilliant people now coming together to help me do that. Guess what happens? Every venture capitalist start to call you. And every single person who wants to invest, what do they want to invest in? The big ideas, an amazing team. Now, I started with a big dream, and now I have an amazing team. Guess what? It becomes so easy to get funded. Yeah, so capital all, comes easy. Capital comes easy. Capital is not patriotic. Capital comes from around the world when you create opportunity. Yeah. Right? And that opportunity comes because you created a goal that if you're actually successful in doing, it's not a $100 billion problem. It's a multi-trillion dollar problem. Right? Yeah. And they believe if you can solve that, not only is it going to help billions of people, yeah. it is going to create an amazingly great company. And so you I, there's a lot of research that shows that when you're raising capital, when you're getting investors, when you come with a very small idea and a small amount of money, it's it's harder. Sometimes I, I actually there's a there's Guggenheim is a big fund uh, based out of New York City. Those guys I was talking to them on the phone. A couple of them they don't even want to lend like five million bucks. They're not even lending. They want eighty million, one hundred, two hundred million, yeah. three hundred million. They have you know billions of dollars. So you could find investors, but you fought you find a completely different, less strategic. Let me let's go live for one second here. People are gonna people are gonna enjoy this. All right. So if you have any questions for a billionaire, also I'm gonna give away this bad boy, a black iPhone at the end. So pay attention. Naveen has a ton of little details. The person who remembers the details the best and answers the quickest is gonna get this bad boy. I didn't even know they made this black phone. We should probably give this to you. As a gift for being here. So let, let's, let's step back for one second for everybody listening. Um, so what was the you, first step? The first step, was, the first step was dreaming so big, everybody thinks you're crazy. That's what you said is your first. So let me ask you with this. 
You weren't born a billionaire. You weren't born to a billionaire. Nobody's born a billionaire. Nobody's born. Well, maybe Bill Gates' kids might might technically. But um, for you, was there a day when you just decided, I'm going to dream big? And what was the first big dream you had that took you from zero to billionaire? So interestingly, it is never, a, when you start to focus on making money, you're never going to do that. So the focus really needs to be on solving the big problem. If you want to create a billion-dollar company, it's trivial to do so. Just solve a $10 billion problem. Right. Find a problem that's going to help a billion people around the world, yeah. you will create a $10 billion company. So yeah. the, way you create, uh, the way you create the uh, money is by not focusing on it. And as I have always said, making money is like having an orgasm. If you focus on it, you're never going to get it. So right. just enjoy the process, and you'll get what enjoy you want. Enjoy the process. I like that's a that is a great analogy. So you didn't necessarily start out initially going, "Let me make become a billionaire." You I, just said, "Let me have crazy dreams that everybody thinks I'm crazy for having." And no, I set out not about just crazy, crazy big dreams. I started out the dreams that if they are successful, they will change the way people are going to live their lives. Right. right. So the, my company, Moon Express, our simple goal there was: what if we can create a multi-planetary society? What if we could live on any planet beyond Earth? Because ultimately, all of us are living on this spacecraft, and we call this a spacecraft a planet Earth. Is flying around in space. What if we get hit by a large asteroid? Won't right. we all become dinosaurs? Right. Or we destroy the planet ourselves, right? And then where do we go? We as humanity will completely disappear. You talk about a big problem, saving the humanity from potential extinction. Yeah. Right? The second thing I said was, what do I do now that we are within six months of launching a mission to the moon? And people are thinking, what did you just say? Yes, going to the moon. Right? That is the moonshot, not a moonshot. That is the moonshot. We're going to go launch a mission to the moon. We are the only company in the universe that has a permission to leave Earth orbit and to go to the moon. I love our friends, Elon, Richard, and Jeff, but to a large extent, no one, no one today has a permission to leave Earth orbit. They all are still servicing in the low Earth orbit. We are the only company that does that. In fact, President Obama signed into the law that every single thing that we bring back, we get to own it. Who would have thunk hmm. seven years ago that we get to own the material that we're going to bring back from the moon, right? right. So, coming so he passed the law specifically yeah. about yeah. if you bring back, what would you bring back? Mining kind of items? So obviously you can bring back platinum-grade material, helium-3, rare-earth elements, and obviously, the biggest resource on the moon really is the water. So you can start to use the water to convert them into hydrogen and oxygen and create the fuel depot along the way so you don't have to carry all the fuel from planet Earth. You huh. can start to use the resources on the moon itself to live on the moon, right? But in the beginning, we're going to bring back platinum, the rare earth elements, or helium-3. The helium-3 is the most amazing. It's an uh, it's a, um, isotope of helium which allows you to use this helium-3 as a clean energy source for fusion reactor. That means a small quantity of helium-3 could power this planet for generations, right? Huh. Even if we just bring back the moon rocks, we can change the way people live their lives, right? So moon rocks itself could disrupt the diamond industry, yeah. right? Today, when people are in love or the people get married or engaged, what do they, they give each other a diamond, diamond ring. right? Yeah. Diamonds are not rare and not they were a symbol of love. Yeah. Only the De Beers marketing did that. They what if, I saw a blood diamond. They, they hide, they, they, they store them to create artificial stairs. So scarcity. I imagine when we bring back the moon rocks, what if we disrupt them by changing the, making them a commodity? Right. Everyone gives someone a diamond. If you love her enough, you give her the moon. Don't promise her the moon, give her the moon. Give her a rock from the moon. And That's going to be a new kind of ring. Exactly. It's going to be rings with the moon on it. I like that. Think about that for a second, Ty. A girl, when you give her the diamond, she's going to get up and say, Ty, are you trying to buy me? Why are you giving me diamond? I thought you loved me. Because if you loved me, you would have given you me the moon. For the, I like that. Right. So, You're going to disrupt a lot of marriages, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> disrupt dis divorce. So, let, so, okay, so when you go through this process, you're building some of the hardest companies in the world. So, like healthcare, we were yeah. going to talk about, right? Yeah, let's talk about, that's a hard business. For all the people in this room and people watching, people, 
you're in their mind. I know how people think. It's like, well, that's easy for him to say. He's a billionaire. But what's the practical, like, how do you actually get started? Let's say somebody here in this room or somebody watching has an idea that's big, but they feel like they don't know the steps to just start. What would you say is a, just the best starting point if you don't know what you're doing? The best starting point is to just do it, right? So if you think you know and you're an expert in, uh, in that industry, yeah. you will never be able to disrupt that industry. Once you are an expert on something, the best you can do is to improve it incrementally by 10% or 15%. If you really want to disrupt something 10 times or 100 times, you have to come as a non-expert. That means huh. you have to start thinking that the way no expert would ever think about Okay. Right? So, for example, when we were launching a mission to the moon, every expert would have thought that we need a one big rocket. Okay. We were coming from the software side. We said, why do you need the big rocket? Why can't we use a small rocket? And that kind of thinking is what allowed us to have a mission to the moon for under $10 million, huh. rather than a billion dollars wow. or $100 billion, right? Yeah, what is the, gov the U.S. government spends how much? The U.S. government, for the first time when we went to the moon, spent $25 billion in 1960s. And today's dollar, that will be about $100 billion. And you guys did it for $10 million. We are going to be doing it for under $10 million. Wow. That's the kind of thinking. So basically, we could say step number two is, if you're new to something, you actually have some advantage. That's right. Because you're going to think completely outside of the normal industry standards. That's and So I would say it's not about thinking outside the box. Yeah. It's about thinking in a different box altogether. That means apply the learning from one industry yeah. into a completely different industry, right? So now when I think about healthcare... Everybody in the healthcare is focused on finding the cure for Alzheimer's, the cure for something. And our thought process was, what, what if we prevent them from the first place? What right. if no one ever got cancer? What if no one ever got Alzheimer's? What if no one got obese or diabetes or autoimmune diseases? Because all these diseases have one simple thing in common. All of them start with the inflammation. And what if you can stop the inflammation simply adjusting the diet and so that our gut microbiome in our gut are well balanced. Most people don't realize that even though we are humans, we are mostly microbial. Yeah. Our, as humans, more 99% of our genes that are being expressed by us come from our microbial, microbial society inside our gut, right? Yeah. Rather than our own DNA. So you got a whole bunch of bugs running all around you. That's a good feeling to know. But it's, it's not just the bugs. This yeah. is what nature intended. Right. Nature wants us to be an ecosystem. In that ecosystem, there are bacteria, there are viruses, there are yeast and the fungus and the mold. And every one of them works together to yeah. keep us alive. So when we take antibiotics or when we eat genetically modified food or when we become too hygienic and always washing our hands or we just not exposed to anything else, our immune system becomes so sensitive that it starts to really inflame every time it sees anything, yeah. right? So the best thing you can do really is to understand, what. don't treat your body as a black box. Understand what is going on. And when I started the company, we are able to now use this, a technology that was developed for national security, biodefense work, and understand that to apply to keep people healthy. So when you go to ym.com and sign up for this service, yeah. you're able to see everything, every bacteria, every strain of every bacteria, every virus. It's a neat, it's a cool app. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to put a link, tylopez.com slash Viome. Yeah. But basically, one of your approaches is you do a small sample from your body, and it tells you, don't have cottage cheese. Yes to celery. It's okay to, you need more vitamin C. Like, eat, oh. and it's customized for every person. The so every person watching, instead of having one recommendation from the U.S. government like we have now, which just says, eat this many servings of fruit, whatever, it would be like, no, you can't have apricots. Or, or better than that, you know, for me, I was trying to lose weight, and everybody told me to cut down the carbs. Yeah. Everybody told me that I should really be eating spinach and avocado, and I'm vegetarian, so lentil, legumes, and tofu. When I did my own Wyom test, turns out that I was doing everything wrong. Huh. I needed to be eating more complex carbohydrates, so majority of my diet need to be carbs. Right? Huh. And then I. What the percentage did it come out? More like, than 50% needs to be carbs. Wow. And interestingly, the things that I need to avoid eating 
is the spinach, avocado, lentil, legumes, and tofu. Everything that I was doing was yeah. causing me grief because I was strict on one diet. So when someone tells you this diet is good for you, tell them it may be good for them, not necessarily right. me. And what's good for me today may not be good for me three months from now. So you think the body changes that body often? Body is constantly yeah. changing. So every time you change your diet, your body changes, right? So you have to test yourself every three months to make sure you're going to be healthy, right? So imagine... Instead of paying thousands of dollars for, uh, when you are sick on insurance, right? You imagine the pharmaceutical companies have really become parasites on humanity. They don't ever cure anything. They simply suppress one symptom, and every time they suppress one symptom, they another cause one pops up. Three more, they pop up. You're gonna need bodyguards. Pharmaceutical companies gonna come. Anybody with one bad thing about having big ideas. Sometimes you get assassinated. That's the only. That's the only minor thing. Throughout history, that happens once in a while. Well, you know, the, it's not that I have a crazy idea. This is scientific ideas. Right. In last five years, and you don't have to take my word for it. Everyone who's listening to it, just Google yourself. Go Google Parkinson's and microbiome. Uh, Google. You know, depression and microbiome. You can Google Alzheimer and microbiome, obesity and microbiome, diabetes and microbiome, and you're going to start to see all the scientific articles, every one of them telling you exactly how microbiomes influence every disease, whether it's autoimmune disease or it's cancer. In fact, even the cure for cancer, whether it works or does not work, depends on your microbes. So really, as proud as we are to who we are, we are really... a portable container for these wonderful microbes so let me say so i would say step we gave step one two i'd say three is kind of addition to step two which is you don't just have to think out of the box thinking it from your past experience in complete other industries but number four i'm going to throw out number four by the way if you're joining us late this is uh naveen jain he's a billionaire he stopped by the house i'm doing a million dollar round table and he was gracious enough to talk to us about what he's doing, his background, how to rethink what everything you're doing in life. And I would say one of the things everybody noticed, step number four to be successful, be super passionate. Can everybody sense how passionate Naveen is about his industry? I mean, and that conveys, right, when you have investors, when you have customers. You Do you have a, you need a, we need to, because we talked about helping him with his website. We need a video with you on the front of your website with all of the passion that you have now because people buy, they buy passion. I promise you this, you can have two products. One doesn't even work, but the founder is extremely passionate about it. And the other one, the product is amazing, but they don't have that passion when they speak. And if you look at all the big companies now, um, Apple's the largest company in the world. Product works, dude. It works, but Steve Jobs had passion. Yes. But Bill he Gates also had, had passion. But he also had a product that was amazing. Yeah, what's well, better? That, yeah, let me just clarify. You don't just want passion and a crappy product. I was just saying if you isolate the factors. And so, so you, how do you, you, where do you get? You, so you've already made all this money. You're already a billionaire. You could just stop. A lot of people ask me, where do you get the energy from? So I'm going to ask that question to you. How do you get the energy to build these companies and not just go, I'm going to just chill on a yacht and, you know, float around the world. But interesting thing is, if you drive happiness from helping people, to me, my self-worth is not what I own. My self-worth comes from what I create. The success is not measured by how much money you have. Success is measured by how many lives have you been able to improve on. And if that's your definition of success, then you're always going to be going out and doing things to help as many people as you can. And what I'm about to tell you is doing good and doing well are not mutually exclusive. If you want to do a small good in the world, then you start a nonprofit or become a social entrepreneur. Yeah. If you really want to do a large good in the world, then you create a for-profit company. And it's really not even about the passion. It's about obsession. You have to be obsessed with what you're doing, that you wake up in the morning thinking about it, you go to sleep thinking about it. What can I do that will change the way people are going to live their lives for the next century? Yeah. What if you can change the education system so that people, the children who are struggling to learn, what if we can change that so that every single a software that can teach each person how to learn 
right? That means it adapts to how children learn rather than children adapting to how teacher teaches, right? Yeah. What if you can do learning to learn? What if you can start to solve problems? We no longer have to learn skills anymore. Yeah. Because skills are becoming obsolete every five to seven years. So by the time you graduate, that skill is no longer needed. Yeah. So you have to start to... I'm going to give you a present. All of you listening, write down this book, Where Good Ideas Come From. Where Good Ideas Come From by a guy named Steven Johnson. And he says exactly this. He says, everything you're learning, for the, it comes obsolete about 20% a year. Some industries even faster. So he said it's all about the ability to be a lifelong learner. So if we say step number five is be obsessed, step number six is be a lifelong learner. How do you learn? Like you're in, you went from the moon, you don't have a degree, you're not a medical doctor and you're not a astrophysicist. How did you teach yourself? Because Elon Musk, I, I saw an interesting thing with Elon Musk. Somebody said, how did you learn to build SpaceX? And he said, Google. Yeah, he, no, he said he read textbooks. He read a lot of books. So what's your process for everybody in this room and everybody watching and listening? Like, how do you learn quickly? How do you know what to read? How do you know? Because there's a lot of different opinions. What's your, do you have like a methodology to learning? Yeah, so first of all, the six number things, uh, six is, is staying intellectually curious. Always yes. being that learning every day. When you go to bed every night, you have to ask yourself, am I better intellectually today? Am I better emotionally today? Am I better spiritually today? And if you're not better on any one of the three things, you wasted a day. Try harder the next day, right? Yeah. So we love learning to learn and staying intellectually curious to me is a big step. The way I do that is every day I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I spend the next three hours going through every single scientific journals in every industry. Huh. So first I learned the basic vocabulary about nanotechnology, the neuroscience, the genetics, the epigenetics, and artificial intelligence. And then you start to read the scientific paper. So you know everything where the technology is just coming out because you know this technology that's in the lab today is going to be matured in three years or five years. So you start to build your service based on where the puck is going to be, not where the puck is. Right. Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. The idea is that when you are a, a three-year-old soccer player, you chase the ball. When you are a professional, you, you anticipate where the ball is going to be and you go there, right? And that's really what... Unless you're the American soccer team, then you don't know where you're going and you don't even make the World Cup for all of you. By the way, Maya just got me a meeting. I'm going to be uh, meeting Ronaldo in, in, Madrid, in Spain. Pretty good little meeting. Everybody give a hand. Where is Maya? Maya. Okay. She's not here. So what else? It's not a big world problem, but, but for some people, soccer is a world problem when their team doesn't make it and America doesn't seem to do well. Yes, what I was trying to say was that really as an entrepreneur, uh, your job is not to focus on where the world is. Your job is to focus on what you want the world to be. Never focus on is the glass half empty or half full. Focus, do you want to fill this glass or not? If you don't right. want to fill the glass, does it matter is half empty or half full? And if you want to fill the glass, does it really matter is half empty or half full, right? So to me, it's not about, you know, even when you are talking to your children or your employees, we always get frustrated. I can take them to the water. I cannot make them drink. Yeah. And I tell them, what if you simply made them thirsty? If you huh. make the people thirsty, you right. never have to take them to the water or make them drink. They will find their own water and they will drink. Yeah. Right? And the beauty of that is what is that thirst? Thirst is the intellectual curiosity. Them believing what if this could happen? What if I could do this, right? And that is what starts to create uh, amazing possibilities. Now, at 4.30 in the morning, when you're, you wake up, you're reading, do you also take time to dream? Do you just sit in a chair and just think sometimes? But that is what happens. When I'm reading an article, I'm always thinking, oh my God, I was reading this yesterday and this today. How do all these dots are connecting? And then you start to find the pattern. And that's why I started this healthcare. When I started to see that every single day I'm reading an article that says microbiome does this, microbiome does that. I'm thinking there's something going on here. I got to be able to take this thing together and find a way to put all these knowledge together. And what if we can do that? That will solve the problem of all the people getting sick. And yeah. that's when I started, right? So it's re every time you read something, it's like collecting a dot. And sometimes it takes the last dot that completes the picture for you, yeah. right? And 
And so idea really is to be staying always staying intellectually curious. And the last the seventh thing that I was going to talk about is really never ever giving up. Think of a life of an entrepreneur is like our heartbeat, right? Yeah. When it's smooth, you're dead. Yeah. You never want to have a smooth life because the life, a smooth life as an entrepreneur is a dead life. You want to know that it's going to be up and down. When you are down and when you believe the world is ending and you will never be able to get out of it, just remember, next beat, next beat is going to be the up. Do you think most people give up right before they're about, there's a Chinese saying, the temptation to give up is greatest right before you're about to succeed. So in only time in life you fail is when you give up. Everything else is just a pivot. Right, yeah. you, Your idea may or may not work, but every idea that does not work is simply a stepping stone to a different idea and a bigger idea, right? Because your first business in the, the first boom in the 1990s, it went up to be worth $8 billion, and then when the, when the crash came, it went down. And it, I read an interesting article by you. It didn't phase you at all because you said, I, I understand now this heartbeat analogy. It was just like, oh, the heartbeat will be back up. That's right. So idea is... At the same time, when you are on the top of the world, when you are at the top of the beat, yeah. never get too cocky. Just remember the next beat is going to be downbeat, right? Yeah. So always remember that ups are high ups and never start to become too arrogant when you are up and never get too down because when you're down, just know it's, it's a life cycle of an entrepreneur. I, I have a friend and he's, he's actually one of the highest IQ people in the world. And I went to dinner with him a couple years ago and he said, Ty... I always try to have my day as a seven. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, if you try to get your day to a 10, that means the next day is going to go down. It's going to go down because you can't maintain 10. And he said, you know, he obviously doesn't want to have a five because then he'd be unhappy. So he's, he's kind of, uh, he understands and agrees with this principle. And I think what happens with most of us is when we succeed, we believe our own press. Never read your own. If you're LeBron James, if you're Ronaldo, never believe you know, that you're the greatest soccer player in the world because the second you think you're the greatest business person, you stop waking up at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. By the way, I want to do a little side note here. I've interviewed many, many successful people. And one of the things that almost to a person have in common is exactly what you said, reading three hours a day. Warren Buffett reads eight hours a day. Mark Cuban reads a couple hours a day. Elon Musk reads, uh, Charlie Munger, and so... For those of you who aren't reading, let me ask you this little practical thing. Do you ever listen to audiobooks or do you like to actually read paper? I personally just love the paper books. I mean, I've never been used to the digital books and the e-books. I just, for some reasons, I just love the feel of a paper. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a style thing. How about, have you had influences? I just, I found an old video where I interviewed Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, and I said, you know, did you have mentors? And he said, yes, Mac Johnson and Michael Jordan. And I said, why did you have these? Because so many people, you know, Kobe's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And he said, well, you have to learn from people who have created greatness before. So you said, you know, you don't necessarily want to copy the exact path of somebody because you're always forging new paths. But are there people who you look back and you say they were instrumental in me learning a new thing principle? Who, who are they? Who are maybe one or two of them? I mean, uh, you know, I worked with Bill, uh, Bill Gates uh, when the Microsoft was very, very small. And I think, you know, he has had a tremendous, I mean, what a great entrepreneur he is. Richard Branson, love. I mean, he's such humble human being. I just love him as a human being. Ratan Tata. And you start to look at Jeff Bezos. I mean, I always thought, how can you be losing so much money and build a business? And was I wrong or was I wrong? I mean, I just love the way he has been able to, you know, execute. Elon Musk, I've known him for so long. He and I have been in a similar industry for so long. He was running Zip2. I was running Infospace. He went on to do the X.com, which became PayPal. And I was running Authorize.net, right? And he was doing SpaceX. I'm doing Moon Express. But I got to give it to the guy. He's got balls of steel, man. He yeah. rolls the dice. And if it goes wrong, he just loses it all. Yeah. And I'm thinking... God, I wish I could be that great an entrepreneur. So yeah, I've got a, nothing but a great admiration for the guy. Now, as a, as a billionaire, are you still somewhat competitive? Do you ever see, because I know that your primary goal is to help people and all that, but is there ever 2% of your brain going, ah, oh, Elon Musk, he's got SpaceX, I'm going to catch him. 
So zero. zero. The reason for that is that we all have the same purpose at the end of the day. We all want to solve these problems. So for example, I'm doing healthcare and I know once I solve healthcare, I'm going to go do the education. But in the meantime, if Elon or anyone else comes along and solves the problem for education, I am least upset that all that means is great. One more domino down. Let's go out and now create the abundance of food. Let's go create the abundance of energy. Let's go create the abundance of land. Let's go solve the next big problem. It's not that we have lack of problems here. We can create abundance of fresh water. So thing is, I want every idea I have, I would love to share with everyone because if someone else out there does that, it's, all that does is makes a better society for all of us, right? So you don't think that people, because some people when they have a business idea are like, keep it secret, someone's going to steal it. Uh, so you, you don't buy into that school of thought. Actually, that is the worst thing you can ever do. When you have an idea, you want the world to know about that idea. If only thing you have uh, protection is your idea, then you are basically, you're going to fail anyway. Yeah, once you launch, everybody's going to know about the idea. The point is you have to believe that you can execute better than anyone else because you've been thinking about it for so long. You can still trademark it. You can still that, but that shouldn't be your primary driver. I honestly believe in trademarking is useless. you got to be winning by execution. Day in, day out, out-executing every single person. It doesn't matter. So just before you join, I was telling the team here that just when you start a company and you say, I have this idea, but there's someone else who is five years ahead of me. They have been doing it for five years. How do I beat them? The technology is moving so fast. If they are five years ahead of you, all that means is they are one or two years closer to actually yeah. being dead. Yeah. Right? Next wave of technology is going to come about. They may be the best audio, uh, the audio podcast and you beat them by doing the best video podcast. Yeah. Right? If you're doing the video, maybe you'll come up with a thing. I'm going to be the best virtual, virtual reality, reality yeah. or I'm going to be the best augmented reality. And if that doesn't happen, it's the next technology. There is always the next thing. So don't focus on what people are doing. Start to imagine what the next world is going to look like and you can still lead. Right? So one of the things I was mentioning was there is a pretty good chance the way the technology is moving so fast that today's market leaders are actually going to be tomorrow's Kodak, right? Yeah. So the companies are being Kodak. Kodak went, by the way, if you don't know, Kodak was a 100-year-old plus company, multi-billion dollar brand. Everybody knew it. 2012, they went bankrupt because of Instagram. And Instagram's here in California, 30 people. Oh, 13, Kevin's 13 sister, people. 13, like okay, 13 yeah. come and disrupt a century-old. So there, there's a lot of... This is the time for disruption because the technology makes it easy. Look, we're streaming here. We don't. I don't need NBC. I don't need ABC. Let me ask you one quick practical question here. And then I want to open up for a few questions. I don't want to keep you too long. Very busy man. Thank you for being here. By the way, it's Naveen Jain. If you want to check out his newest company, tylopez.com slash Viome. Can you spell it for everybody? tylopez.com slash V-I-O-M. M-E. V as in Victor, I as in Indiana, O as in Orange, M as in Mary, E as in England. So it's like biome, but it's with a V, like victory. So practical tip for people watching. A lot of questions I get from entrepreneurs are, how do I balance work life? You have three kids. Steve Ballmer, um, I got to have dinner and meet, I've gotten to know him a little bit. And the thing that he did, he took an Excel spreadsheet and put a time budget for his kids. So he his kids play football and basketball. He said, all right, I'm a, I'm running Microsoft at the time, the biggest company in the world. He's not going to be able to go to every game. He's not a normal parent. But, you know, his kids will probably give him a pass when he when they inherit $50 million that he was out making money. So, But he made sure he at least went to a certain number of games. So he had a very logical approach, literally a spreadsheet. What's your approach to work-life balance and and having time for your kids and having time for your your family? So first of all, any time you're trying to draw a balance between the two things, that means you already concluded that they cannot live together. You only balance something that are mutually exclusive, right? So to me, that's fundamentally the wrong thing. Anybody who tries to balance two things, they suck at both. Right? So you can never be good at both and by balancing it. So you really the life is more like a continuum. In there are days and weeks, there is one 
everything is one and there are times when someone else needs you so there is a time your business needs you and there is nothing else matters and you focus on that and there are times when your children are sick and there is nothing else in the world that matters when your children are sick so it's really more of a continuum some days there are more of one and there are some days more of other there is no such thing as balance so you're really on uh, one week if i look back in the last five years of life there were, you would say this is the week i hardly thought about business because kids graduating this that that and then there's another week where you just told your kids listen i'm off i'm working on launching a new billion dollar i'm going to the moon or more like you never say that but you know one of the things that i did with our children was very interesting and important was i told them there is never a time when they can't call me if they make a call it doesn't matter what i'm doing i will take that call and i did that when I was in front of 5,000 investors at Goldman Sachs and the phone rang, it was my son, I took his call, right? It's that kind of integrity. I told our children, you never, ever have to take my love. It's always there for you. Mm. My love for you will always be there, but my approval is something you have to earn, mm. right? That means my job is to make sure that you never feel that I'm out of your life. But if you do things that I don't approve of, it doesn't mean I'm going to still approve of what you do, but I'll still love you. You need to teach more parents. There's a lot of people pushing out spoiled little brats. And that's the thing is that those brats become brats because we as parents teach them the wrong things. We teach them the success is about how much money we have. When they were growing up in our affluent family, I came from nothing. When they were growing in an affluent family, I set the rule for them that said, your self-worth is not what you own. Your self-worth comes from what you create. And if you owned a lot and you have not created anything, you're still a worthless piece of shit for the society. You're a parasite on society. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's strong words. Did that get their attention? Yeah. And interesting thing is, <laughs> also I teach, I, you know, I always told them that, you know, your success you, the, the day you become humble is the day you become successful. Because if you still have iota of arrogance left in you, that means you're still trying to prove something to yourself or someone else. The day you stop proving to someone and you have to tell someone how much money you have, that's the day you actually have become successful. Was there a time where you were cockier and you had to learn this lesson and become more humble over time? The lessons are learned when you are young and you always believe that you need to let the world know that you have arrived, yeah. right? But as you start to mature, you realize it does, you're not there to find uh, approval from others. Your happiness comes from inside you. Your happiness the only time you can ever be happy is when you are internally happy. You share your happiness. You never drive your happiness from something else. It's money or family or anything. You share that with everyone, but you never count on that to make you happy. Yeah. And, and to me, you know, these are the type of lessons once you do. My job was not to just say, I'm going to create this world for you. So I never thought my job is to leave the better, you know, country for our children my job was to leave the better children for our country and that's the reason i made sure that every one of our chi child has the same hunger same desire the same passion do they ever wake up with you at 4 30 in the right. morning it's not only that i yeah. oldest is 27 when he was 17 year old he started kairos society k-a-i-r-o-s which is now the world's largest college entrepreneurship thing 140 countries huh. and he's been doing it for 10 years right and the reason he's so plugged in is every single top person came and helped him because he was helping all the entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. So today, he is in the Inc. magazine on the cover, world's, world's most connected 21-year-old when he was 21-year-old, right? Huh. He's in the full-page profile in Wall Street Journal. He has a 10-page profile on Wired magazine. He started a company called Human and sold that to Tinder. And then now he's starting huh. a second company. The co-founder of Tinder was just at my house. I said, you got an interesting business. You changed the world. He goes, tell me about it. You should imagine what Tinder sees behind the scenes. An interesting <laughs> thing is our daughter, who gives them the run for his money every single day. She graduated from Stanford. Stanford Mayfield Fellow. Stanford Stamp Fellow. She is in the Youth Ambassador for United Nations. And she was so passionate about women empowerment she worked in a company now she works in a company in new york whose sole purpose is to use the artificial intelligence to remove all the bias in hiring mm -hmm. and that's what she's doing 
So artificial intelligence for workplace kind of. Basically, before huh. you even have a bias of who you want to hire, you use the AI to find the right people. Uh-huh. And that removes all the bias, right? Yep. So basically like sticking people in a dark room, interviewing them without seeing them. Exactly. Yeah, or hearing their voice. Yeah, yeah. So interesting, our youngest one is now 20 and he's a junior at Stanford. And he's the first public speaking he did was a TED talk at United Nations, right? Wow. right? So point is, here are the kids who are doing some amazing things. And the reason they're doing amazing things is after my first success, I could have sat at home and say, I want to spend time with the family because I made the money now, right? Imagine from their perspective what they would be seeing. When they go to school, they see me sitting at home watching CNBC. They come back from school, they see me watching CNBC. What would they be saying? When I grow up, I want to be just like my dad, sitting on the sofa watching CNBC, right? Instead, what they saw, they saw me started the second company, the third company, the fourth company, the fifth company, the sixth company. And they realized... My dad does that because he wants to have an impact. He doesn't care about money. So it wasn't what I told them. It is what what they saw me do. Yeah, success is caught. It's not learned. You catch it from somebody else. Let me take a few questions, either from the room. Does anybody here have a question? Or I'm going to open this up. So many people are listening. Okay, question. What do we got? So let me repeat let me repeat the question for everybody. It's a great question. What was the biggest challenge for going to the noon uh, the moon technically? Is it the fuel? Is it the vacuum? I don't even remember all the stuff you were saying. The very technical things. The shield, re-entry. What what was the hard part of going to the moon? This really is about how do you build something that could create an amazing business. That means how do you build something that's going to cost as little as possible to achieve the goal. That means really rethinking, can you 3D print the rocket? Can you go out and start to use a smaller uh, light weight thing because 93% of the weight really is the fuel. So the less weight you have, the less fuel you need. Right? Yeah. So the thing that we did was really making it as small as possible with as light material as possible, 3D printing every part so they're really, really compact and lightweight. Uh, and then bringing, I mean, to us going to the moon, the hardest part was how do you go out and convince someone that this is a business they should be investing in, right? right? So you brought in investors. Yeah. Yeah. So And an interesting thing was people said, oh, it's easy for you guys to do a business in Silicon Valley. People want to invest in these big ideas. Interesting thing happened was in at Moon Express, all of our investors actually came from outside the Silicon Valley. So these were the people in, in... Russia, China, India, Europe, all the places people thought people don't want to fund the big ideas. The reason they don't think big ideas is the people in those countries are only thinking small ideas, right? But there's always an appetite for changing the way people live, right? So my thinking has always been, I told them, I said, watch me make the history or come join me and make the history with me. Yeah, watch and miss out. So that's a good point on raising money too even though you're a billionaire do you still almost always bring other people's money into the deal and why and why so i always bootstrap the company in fact other than the last two companies i always found that you know our companies were bootstrapped and they became profitable very early but so bootstrap by the way means initially not really raising much investment so very small money that you put in and then you start to go get the ball rolling and it starts to make profit and then you use that profit to keep getting bigger yes in the last two ventures it became clear to me that when you bring in lots of people around you they start to help you build the businesses right right because they have money with you so they want you to succeed and that's really the thing that i learned was that while I was doing it myself, I ended up owning most of the company, but then I was alone. When the things in the night went dark, it was me. There was no one else who cared. Yeah. And now, when I have all these people who are investors there, guess what? Every day they say, hey, you got to meet this person who will really be able to help you build this. I want to introduce to this person who's got this uh, tank. I got to introduce to this person who got this new rocket fuel, right? And that really starts to move. And do you recommend that most people starting a business raise capital? 
And what about business partners, not just investors? Do you like to have business partners or do you like to be alone? So interestingly, um, my first business I did was alone. And I always now recommend um, that you have a business partner with a clarity, however. Anytime you have a business partner that's equal, it's a recipe for disaster. There has, you cannot build a company by having a consensus. There has to be one person who makes the decision and his ultimate call. So what I don't mind doing is sharing the financial reward with the partners. Mm. But at the end of the day, there has to be a super voting right that says, when I say that's what we're going to do, all discussion ends. So when you set up, by the way, if you don't know what super voting, you can, you can give out shares in a company that, that aren't the, their votes count for less. So you see that at like Snapchat, Evan Spiegel, you know, and I think Google and Mark Zuckerberg, when, when Mark Zuckerberg votes, it counts as like 10 votes. So that way you can give people, do you ever do 50-50 partnerships in these businesses? No. But I'm not, not talking about by vote, but by no, financial money. interest. So you like to keep it more than 50 more than that, I mean, I bring a lot more value. Right. So, right. Yeah. so in some sense, when I start a company, it already has a tremendous amount of value because I put my heart, soul. I won't do something unless I believe I can absolutely make this a success. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a great little point. When you talk to your lawyers, you, don't, you can talk to them about, okay, I'm going to bring this person in, but I want to keep more voting rights, and you can set up this thing called super voting. And I do that with And also the too. clarity of uh, decision-making. Yes. There has to be only one CEO. Yes. You can have a discussion, but there has got to be a time when you say, enough is enough. Yeah. We're going to go do this, and there's no more discussion. One general, yeah. one leader, you know, and that, that pretty much, you see occasionally where people try to do it with two, but I agree with that. Also, let's talk real practical in terms of, hiring people and even and let's start with assistance do you use assistance do you have personal assistance do you think that's important uh, a lot of people tell you that it's important personally um, i have not i don't have assistant and the reason for that is i believe uh, you know i i love just listening to people i don't want to reply to every email i don't want anything filtered between me and the people who are talking to me and I don't have any problem other people having assistant. It's just that the idea of someone's, someone whose sole purpose in life is to really be taking care of me seems like a slavery <laughs> to me. And I just never felt good about it. All right. And then what about employees? How do you get good people? Do you pay them? Do you like to pay salary plus commission, just commission, salary, incentive pay? So I really, none of what really, if you want to attract the best talent, give them the best problem to work on, mm. right? When you start to focus on money, then they focus on money. When you start to focus on creating an ultimate goal, and you know the money will come. So I tend to always pay them less than the market. Mm. And here is why. I want to give them a lot more equity. So you give them incentive bonus. Not incentive bonus, the equity. So they own, Equity bonus, okay. I want them to own the piece of the company because I yeah. want all of us to be aligned. That says, I want this company to be successful. If you're making just as much money here as you would make somewhere else, then yeah. it's a job for you. Yeah. I yeah. want people to know they're sacrificing what they were making because they believe in what we are doing. If they ever feel this becomes a job and they're not enjoying it in the morning, I tell every employee, come talk to me. If you're not getting up in the morning and jumping out of the bed, let me help you find a new job. And I will find you a better job than if you're not enjoying it. I want you to get up in the morning and say, God, I'm lucky to be alive. Do you think people are more incentivized? by a mission than money? Do you think some people are different or what's your experience? Here? Anybody who's motivated by motivated by money is not the person I would ever hire. Hmm. If that's if that's the kind of person they they are, I don't want to be around them. I want the person to be focused on making a difference, knowing that making money is a byproduct. It can't be the sole purpose in life. Another practical question, pricing your products. Everybody here at this round table, people listening in they have products that they're selling. How do you know, one of the areas that's been shown over and over, there's a great book called Smart Pricing, and it talks about how people misprice their product. You have this new product, uh, tylopez.com slash Viome. It'll take you directly to, to, I'm an affiliate for the product. Um, what 
and you came up, let's say this price point around 400 bucks. How did you determine that? There's different theories that you should take your cost and then just add 30%. That's kind of how retail, if you go to the Sears or something, Kmart, Walmart, that's how they, that's a lot of times how they do it. What's your opinion on that? You know, you start to think about what is it that you're really trying to do. So, for example, the cost of doing the test that we do uh, would have been about $3,000. We had this amazing technology that was, you know, um, our taxpayer money, hundreds of millions were spent building this thing. And we could get the cost down substantially. I wanted it in the hands of as many people as possible. Mm. The lowest cost we could do and still essentially be in business was the 399. Mm. And my hope is that as more people sign up, an interesting thing is after you sign up for once a year 399, mm. you can do as many tests as you want for $199. That's oh. it, $199. You can do every month, okay. right? And the reason is because I want everyone to be able to afford it. My hope is that as the volume goes up like anything else, the price will come down and I will cut that down into half again. My so your your basic philosophy is get, get your product in the most people's hands for the lowest price. And the second thing also is because our artificial intelligence engine only is going to get smarter as more and more pe people come in, more diverse people from more diversity with more diseases. So the more things we can learn, the smarter it gets. Yeah. So if you ever want to be a solving a problem for a billion people, you want to get in the hands of a million people so you have enough diversity to be able to solve all the problems. To test, yeah. Let's talk about marketing for a second. Huge, it's, you can't just have a good idea. You can't just have a good product. People have to learn about it. And all the big companies that we think of, whether it's Apple, Apple's amazing at marketing. Steve Jobs not only knew how to build technology, but he was a marketing genius and he designed it. And I mean, look at that. I'm going to be giving this away at the end. Look at this right here. Just, it's a tactile feeling. I'm a, this black iPhone, first of all, it looks cool, right? They create scarcity by, even though it, it's like, oops. That's what I think of that phone. I just dropped it. Uh, if you look at Amazon, everything you're going to buy, it says there's only three left. And then below it, it says, but more will be coming soon. So they're doing marketing tactics. What have you learned about marketing? Obviously, you have a super passion yourself as the spokesperson, but how do you get that out there so that, because you're not going to be able to talk to everybody. Yeah. So the way, I mean, I personally, I believe is the best marketing you do is to have satisfied people, customers, right? Mm. Every single person who buys your product will tell 10 people if they don't like it, Yeah, right? So you want your product to be so good that everyone else is selling your product, right? They want, you want- So word of mouth word marketing. Word of mouth is a big. Second thing is really talking to the influencers. So I'm here talking to you, Ty, because I know the people who listen to you probably would say, you know what, I don't wanna be sick. I don't want to be dependent on the pharmaceutical companies. I don't want my doctor to be telling me in five, before I even open my mouth, they start writing the prescription. Yeah. They have no interest in making me healthy because they make money when I am sick. Yeah. I'm sick and tired of being sick. I'm going to take the control in my own hand. I want to become the CEO of my own health. I want to know what is going on and I want to stop taking all these damn pharmaceutical drugs and I want to simply control my own body by using the diet and nutrition. And if I can do that and never be sick, yeah. wouldn't that be the life I want to live? And wouldn't I tell everyone else? Right. And what happens is, you know, whether it's Dr. Mark Hyman, he wrote about us because he was sick and he did the Wyom test and we told him what's wrong and how what to do. Huh. You know, he did wrote, he publish what it was? He published the whole thing. What was his main thing that uh, you found? What did Viome find in his Viome, by the way, basically it does a quick test. You can do it in your own house. They send you a kit. And then it tests what's going on in your stomach, to put it yeah. bluntly. And what, so Dr. Mike, Mark Hyman is a big influencer. We're talking about influencer. More than market. he's the head of the Cleveland Clinic Integrative Medicine, right? Yeah. He, was, he had a, uh, you know, um, a C. diff, basically, that's problem, the bacteria in his gut that was almost really destroying him. He was so sick. So it was a, it was a parasite. Like a parasite. So Ooh. what happened was. How does everybody like that thought? You may have an alien, like the movie Alien, inside of you. And the interesting <laughs> thing was, he got uh, a, a 
fecal transplant to get a new microbial oh. stuff for uh, you know so that he can feel better and he thought he was feeling good until we showed him all the parasites you got the new ones as a gift so a fecal transplant if you don't know what that is it's precisely what it sounds like it's a popu- uh, population <laughs> population is how you go you basically and you're saying if you do it wrong yeah you get all the bugs from the other person oh that's a and that's, that's a, a great thought anybody hungry and but interesting thing Lunchtime. is that Ben Greenfield, who is a Mr. Macho, and he just right. published his result. And he had the gut issues, and he has been for 10 years trying to figure out what to do with it. We told him that he needed to stop taking onion and garlic because those were two things that were causing injury. Huh. And boom, he knows. Because yeah. everybody thinks onion and garlic's healthy for you. That's right. But you're saying for his personalized medicine, it wasn't. It wasn't good. And interestingly, he wrote now big articles. He says, I'm a fan of Wyoming because it fixed the problem that I've had for 10 years. So going back to the marketing, what you're doing, obviously being here and talking to people in addition to helping people, you get the influencer to talk about you and then the market you don't even have to market because they already have their huge Chopra I mean he just wrote a great article on San Francisco uh, Chronicle he wrote in Huffington Post he wrote it on Chopra Foundation and he said how gut and the brain are connected and how Wyom helps you fix the problem so you may be depressed it's not in your brain it's actually in your gut when you're anxious you get butterflies in your stomach you don't get butterflies in your head yeah. So all the things start with your gut. So when your mom says, listen to your gut, do your gut check, you should have right. done your gut yeah. check. And one of the things maybe on a marketing angle to go back to that is take your top 20 influencers, brainstorm, ask them what's the biggest problem in your life. If you solve it for them, then they're going to put it on their podcast. They're going to put it on their social media. And better yet, if you really do something that's audacious, that yeah. is something that actually is so big. Yeah. Everyone wants to talk to you. So I'm on CNBC talking about how we can change. It's not the Trump care or the Obamacare that's going to solve our health care. What if we completely rethink and people are not sick? That is what's going to change. Yeah. right? So I was on CNBC. I'm going in 10 days again. I'm speaking at CNN. I'm speaking in Bloomberg. So I'm going out and talking about the things because we believe we have a better mousetrap. We can change and you can reimagine and we can change the discussion from spending more right, money on drugs keeping, to yeah, prevention. Exactly. Because drugs are not the solution. Pharmaceutical company CEO once said, the best drug we develop are the ones where you have to take for the rest of your life. Yeah. Imagine that. That's profitable. sickening. That's yeah. sickening. Yeah. Right? That they don't cure anything. And when they, every time they give you a drug, they always have these side effects so they can give you more drugs. Let me say one other thing that he brought up for those of you listening that are entrepreneurs. Press. You can get press easier than you think. I, at my conf- I did a little conference here uh, last week, and a kid came up to me with his dad. He's t- or the dad brought his son, who's ten years old, and he's got an app, a little business at ten years old, and he's made a hundred bucks. And they said, "How should we market this?" And I said, "You know what you do? This is you go and you call every local news station." And you guys, everybody listening should do this. Trust me, you call every local news station. You say, hey, I've got this little business. I'm an entrepreneur. Have a little quick pitch of what your story is. Once you can get, and local stations don't have enough news because also they might not put you on their 5 o'clock, but they'll put you on their website sometimes because their website, they're trying to get good at social media. They're not, but they will put you on their Facebook. And then when you're there, you ask them, are there any of your reporter friends that I could also talk to? And they're usually friends with bigger people. Then you go to the bigger press sources and you say, oh, I was just on, you know, KTLA. Can I get on your?" So you can use that stepping stool of marketing, influencer marketing. And still old school influencers are still powerful. Very powerful. Very powerful. I mean, I believe today that influencers in social media are more powerful than the big media. Yes. Right? So, I mean, the fact is that, you know, I'm talking to you this morning. I was talking to Louis Harvey, right? Yeah. Amazing guy. The school of greatness. We've got to love the podcast, right? And those are kind of things that, you know, you go out and start to spread the magic. The yeah. magic of what is it that you're doing? Why do you care about it? How will it change the way people live their lives when people use this product, right? Yeah. And that's the reason, you know, when I'm talking about why I'm, it's not because I want to make more money. It's because I believe this is how we're going to change healthcare. Yeah. Well, Naveen. Thank you, sir. This was amazing. Everybody give him a hand. That was amazing talk. <laughs>
So for everybody listening, tylopez.com slash Viome. How do you spell that? V-I-O-M-E. V like victory. And then I-O-M-E. You can just Google it too uh, if you want. Go check it out. I bought a kit. Not because I was paid to buy it. Because I've been, anytime I hear something about health, at the end of the day, trust me, I know I live here in Beverly Hills. There is a lot of millionaires and billionaires that are fat and unhealthy. And uh, what does all the money do for you if you can't enjoy it? One of the things that Steve Jobs, I always remember he said, he said he didn't want to be the richest man in the graveyard. But if you don't take care of your health, you'll get rich, but you won't be able to spend a penny or, or, you, or you'll be, you know. I knew a guy, or he was a friend of a friend. He was worth $2 billion, but he was bedridden, fully bedridden. He was obese. He had, And I was thinking, who here listening would trade lives for him you get wired two billion dollars today but you're so fat unhealthy you can't get out of bed to spend it see money is a currency that only works if you're active so one of the things that i tell people and i invest a good bit of my money each month back into the best personal trainers the best cooks because i'm a horror if you're a good cook you don't need to do that but i'm not a good cook and also all these tests i've been testing my blood i've been testing i've done my not as good i'm gonna do yours next i've been testing my gut and uh, look, 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 but i don't think i have parasites according to my last test but um but they, they won't they, you know the reason you don't have them because they can't test they can't test no. Okay, well, I'm hoping, can you go into my test results and make sure I don't have parasites? But honestly, you know, what happens is the other companies that were doing it before we came along, they can only look at the bacteria. They cannot look at the parasite. They cannot right. look at virus. They cannot look at yeast, fungus, mold. And so you don't know them because they were not testing for them. So go tylopens.com slash biome. I've decided to become an affiliate. I'm not affiliate for that many products, but I like this one. And I saw the app. It's pretty cool. Even if you only learn one thing about health, like don't, maybe some of you shouldn't be eating onions or garlic or eating more. Man, I hope Mike comes back. I can eat more carbs. I, I like that. Every girl wants my microbiome. And I you know. know what they have to do to get the microbiome. Ah, <laughs> that's just good. Yeah, let's, no fecal transplants for more carbs. Uh, on that note, that's a great note to end today's podcast. 